I've shared this story with you before, but it's applying in a different way this time. A few years ago, I was tarpon fishing in the Florida Keys with my good buddy, David Hughes. And on this particular morning that we were fishing, our guide had selected a strategy that is essentially, you come out onto the ocean side, on the Atlantic side of the Keys, and try to establish where the tarpon are swimming as they migrate up and down the coastline. You're only about 200 yards offshore, Water may be 10 feet deep, not even. You can see the beach, everything's cool. And we got to the spot that he had kind of picked out. He, he knew where the fish would be swimming based on the contours of the ocean floor and what the tide was doing and would be doing and all that kind of stuff. So we got to the spot and he throws out the anchor and we start fishing. And we had been there for maybe 10 minutes or so when we noticed that the boat was actually starting to drift off of the line. The anchor had gotten caught in something soft and it was just kind of drifting with the tide and the land was getting farther away and without any announcement whatsoever, our guide who was on the back on the polling platform stripped off his shirt and dove into the gin clear waters of the Atlantic. He swam the length of the boat, went around to the bow, got the anchor line and swam down the anchor line and then picked up the anchor, swam over to where he wanted it and then just stuck it in the ocean floor with authority. He swam back up the anchor line to the bow of the boat, came back the length of the boat, hopped in the boat, and climbed back up on the polling platform with no shirt on to just kind of start airing out. Well, about 30 seconds after he got back in the boat, we saw a torpedo-like shadow in the water coming toward us. And David and I are thinking, tarpon. But then all of a sudden, as this torpedo approached, we noticed that little wiggle and waggle in the tail that lets you know this isn't a tarpon. This is a shark coming at the boat. And we could tell from a distance it was a good-sized shark. And it came right at the bow of the boat, veered off and went down the side of the boat. And as I was standing on the bow with my fly rod in hand, he went by. This was a seven-foot bull shark, one of the most aggressive animals in the ocean. He had heard the guide splashing in the water and came a-running for breakfast. As the shark went by the boat, our guide very nonchalantly looked over the side and went, huh, glad I got back in the boat. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile and early service enthusiasm in your heart, tell your neighbor, get in the boat. That was good. That was good, but we're going for great this morning, okay? Tell them like you mean it. Get in the boat. Yeah. Folks, the Christian faith is a safe haven in shark-infested waters. You and I are living, we are swimming in shark-infested waters every single day of our lives, and it is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that gives us a safe place to, to travel and live and walk in those shark-infested waters. Part of God's creative genius, part of his amazing grace in giving us scripture, the Bible, is that he has put into print principles and promises that allow us to make sense of a messy 
messy, shark-infested world. And as we begin to make sense, it gives us the possibility of living out the life we were created to live. I want you to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It's interesting, Jesus says these words as he is concluding, as he is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever delivered. This is what the Son of God said. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I think every single one of us, if we were honest with ourselves, if we were honest with God and with each other, we would all be able to nod in affirmation to the words of Jesus. I, I think all of us who've been alive for more than about 30 minutes, we've all tried to do it our own way, haven't we? we we've all said, you know what, God? I got this. I, 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 got, I got it. I, I know, what, I know that what the Bible says, but I got this. How many of us have ever said, God, I got this? And every single time I have ever said, God, you got this. I will build my house. I will build my life on the rock of your word. I will trust you more than I trust myself, more than I trust my friends, certainly more than I trust culture and contemporary fashionable philosophy. I'm going to trust the word of God. Every time that happens, I'm ready for the rain. I'm ready for the wind. I'm ready for the flood. And this is where we are. As we continue this series, Making Sense of a Messy World, we're trying to get at the reality that normal is just absolutely overrated. God has created us. He has called us up. He is calling us out to so much more than just normal. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, he said, In him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, say all, all, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So here, here's what we're doing over the next few weeks. We're, we're going we're gonna to spin out of the narrative and the history of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we've just been in. And if you've missed any of those weeks, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you, plead with you. Go back and watch those messages online. You can get them on our website because they are foundational for where we're going. What we're going to do over the next few weeks is explore some foundational realities that allow us to make sense of a messy world. When you understand the truth of God's word, it's not easy. It's, it's certainly not elementary, but it helps to begin to make sense of a messy, messy world. It helps to 
be able to filter and ferret out truth from lies, fact from fiction, reality from fantasy. And so today where we are, we're just gonna, we're gonna start at the beginning. Our foundational reality, number one, is this. God is, period. That's it. Just tell your neighbor right now, God is. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Mac, you didn't finish that sentence. God is? And I understand that, but hear me out. What we have to understand is that before anything was here or anywhere, God was already there. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Genesis chapter 1. The very first words of Scripture, they, they might be familiar to you. You may never have seen them before in your life. But today we're going to mine these words for reality, for truth, that, that gives us that anchor for our souls and our hearts and our minds. Genesis chapter 1, just verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning, God created. So when, when everything got started, God was already there. When we say that God is eternal, we, we I think, can grasp the, at least the concept that that means he has no ending. He will live forever. He promises that those who know and are forgiven by Christ will have eternal life. And we know when we pass from this life, we go into the next one that is eternity long. But it also means that God has always been. He had no beginning. Now that one fries a circuit in my brain. Does anybody else? Like when I think there's no beginning, I'll God had no beginning. He has always been. You could say that God is extra chronological. He's not bound by time like you and I are. God doesn't exist linearly, but he works historically. And that's a very, very critical thing to understand about the fact that God is. He just always has been, always is, and always will be. Now, within that reality... There are eight facets of his personality, eight facets of his character that we're going to look at today. But before we get into them, I want you to understand why we're doing this. This is not about what you know. Now, there are some facts that we're going to look at, but this is not ultimately about just knowing things intellectually. It's not, it's not what you know. It's, in fact, who you know. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. And it helps us to understand, when you understand that in the beginning, God created, God was already there in a relationship with himself. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but this is given to us when you study the original language of Genesis, the, the words in Hebrew, the word God is Plural, it is Elohim. Say Elohim. Elohim. 
Elohim is the Hebrew word used most often in the Old Testament for God. There was also the word Yahweh, but Elohim is used most often. And it is a plural noun that is always used with a singular verb. Now, my mom was an English teacher, and she would not like that, except in this case. What is being conveyed here is that God is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it always has been. And even at the beginning, God was relational. Before he was ever creative, he was already relational. The best way that you could understand this or maybe picture this, think about, think about marriage between a man and a woman, the covenant of marriage. God says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. They are united. Now, obviously, they are distinct, but they begin the process of living life as one now, obviously, in this lifetime, ever since Genesis chapter 3, we don't do that perfectly, but that's the goal. That's what we're aiming for. In the same way, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are perfectly united. There is no division. There's no daylight, and yet they are distinct from one another. It's hard for us to grasp, but we just look at Scripture and say, this is truth beyond our finite comprehension. So God is relational. That, that's, that's where it starts in the understanding of who he is. Now, these eight facts about God. God is, number one, eternal. God is eternal. We've already alluded to this, but it bears repeating because the fact of God's eternalness means that he can always be trusted. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not shook. He's not rattled. He never waffles or wavers, falters or fails. He is not only consistent, he is constant. So he is eternal. Psalm 93 is the reference there. I'm gonna explain a little later on what we're doing with each of these references. But just with this fact, number one, God is eternal. Number two, God is creator. In the beginning, God created. Now, implicit in the fact that God is creator is the fact that as the creator, he is the decider. He is the determiner, if you will, of reality. He is the determiner of truth. You, you can say that because God made everything, he's got dibs on truth. If I don't like something that God says, that's, that's interesting and God's willing to discuss and listen to me in prayer, but ultimately, as the creator, he's already decided what is true and what is false. As his creation, I have the responsibility, I have the privilege of discovering that, of living within that and living out his truth and his reality. It also means this. It means that because you were created by God Almighty, created in his image, that's how much you matter. That's how much you matter to him. I think every single one of us goes through 
phases. We go through periods of time where we get down on ourselves. We begin to think, I have failed. I have made this mistake. I have made that mistake. And it may be true, but it never, say never, never, ever impacts our worth before God. As a creation of the creator, he loves you unconditionally as is. And he loves you too much to leave you there. He is the creator. Now, number three, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. This is the fact that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and it flows out of the fact that he's the creator. God is in charge. And there are three things to kind of think about or pray about as you think about the sovereignty of God, the in-chargeness, the authority of God. And there are these three things. Number one, he is omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful. Look at that word. Omni is all. Potent is powerful. All-powerful. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God knows everything. Have you ever thought to yourself, well, why would God do this? Or how could God judge that? Anybody ever thought that? Am I the only one? Three of you. Thank you for your honesty. It's because he knows everything. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows not only everything I've ever done, he knows everything I've ever thought. That's why he can do that. He's omniscient. And then number three, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. Omnipresent. So God is eternal. God is creator. God is sovereign. Number four, God is love. He's love. Remember we said at the very beginning, by virtue of the fact of the Trinity, God was already engaged in relationship. He was already community unto himself. 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. It's not just something that he does. It's who he is. Number five, God is good. God is good. Because he loves us, he's good to us. He's good for us. He's good through us. Number six, God is holy. He is holy. That means that he is sacred and set apart. There are angels in heaven right now hovering around the throne room of God crying out, holy, 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 holy is the Lord Almighty. The holiness of God. I, th I think this is what it means when it says the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When you understand the holiness of God, the moral flawlessness, the moral perfection of God, when I think about that compared to myself, I'm like, whoa, that, that's, that's a lot. That's the glory of God. He is holy. And number seven, God is judge. God is the judge. Now, we know, of course, that we're not supposed to judge each other. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't tell your neighbor to take the piece of sawdust out of his eye when you have a tree trunk in yours. And that's very true. But it is also very true that God will judge 
you. He will judge me. Now, if you're new around here, this is not one of those churches where we like to scare the hell out of people, where we like to talk about Satan, uh, tempting uh, you. Uh. That's not how we roll. But we do believe the word of God, and God will judge. And, and let me just say this about that. People say, how could God send people to hell? Well, we have the choice to love God, to engage in relationship with him. If I choose God here in this life, my eternity is just the fulfillment of that choice. If instead I choose to reject God, if I choose to go away from him and move away from his love, his life, his word, then my eternity will just be the fulfillment of that wish. Jesus said in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, I will come in and have a meal with them. But don't miss the fact that God does judge. He judges our thoughts. He judges our words. He judges our actions. And that's in every single one of our futures. And number eight, he is forgiver. He is forgiver. First John chapter one says, he is able and just to forgive if we confess our sins. If I confess my sins to God, if I claim the forgiveness offered in Christ, I'm forgiven. The Bible says that God removes my sin as far as the east is from the west. That's a great picture, isn't it? and remembers it no more. He's my forgiver. So when we say that God is, let's go back to that list real quick, please. God is eternal, God is creator, God is sovereign, God is love, God is good, God is holy, God is judge, God is forgiver. So what do you do with that? It's one thing to know these things. It's one thing to believe these things and live like we believe them. But what do you do with that? Here's what I want to challenge you with this week. I want to challenge you every day this week, starting today, starting today, to spend time in prayer and scripture and pray through, read through, Think through these foundational facts about who God is. Pray scripture as you read these references. We'll put them on social media in case you didn't write them down or you didn't take a picture of the screen. But as you think through these things, use them as a guide to worship God. You know, my wife, Julie, from time to time with no warning whatsoever, will say to me, tell me three things that you love about me and they can't be the last three. Woe unto the husband who hesitates. <laughs> she likes me to tell her. And then when I start thinking about her and I start thinking about how phenomenal she is, how amazing she is, I like to tell her how great she is. Julie makes me happy. The subject of Julie makes me smile. more the subject 
of the eternal creator, king of kings and lord of lords, who died for me, who forgives me, who loves me, period. When I think of Jesus and all that he is, all that he has done, man, that's fuel in the tank. I'm ready to go another day. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. I want everybody, if you would, just close your eyes for a second. This is not the closing prayer. But close your, I know some of you are like, well, I got to leave them up, but no. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, and for just a second, I want you to take in a deep breath and hold it just for a second. And now let it out. And now I want you to think about, with your eyes closed, but your mind and your heart focused on who God is, Think about the fact that he's eternal. That he's constant yesterday, today, and forever. Think about the fact that he made you on purpose. Think about the fact that you were born at a time and a place and have lived a life that has brought you to this moment and now you know that. You're, you're aware of this staggering foundational fact and reality that God is. Now I want you to open your eyes. nice just just a moment to be still just just to take a deep breath every single one of us everyone your pastor included needs more of that make the time this week Make the time to be still and know that he is God. And watch what happens. It's not going to eradicate every problem you've ever had or have right now. But as you are still before God, as you take that deep breath and focus on who he is, focus on the fact and the truth and the reality of his word, I want you to think about and pray about what it does to your fear factor. I want you to think about and pray about and notice what it does to the anxiety level that we all walk around with, some of us more than others. You see, the truth that God is is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning 
of what we would call mental health. It is the beginning of the peace that passes all understanding. God is. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with this God, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus Christ, in just a second, we want to give you the opportunity to do that to begin living in and living out this truth. And it's not, about a, it's not about a survey. It's not about how much knowledge you have. It's about a heart and mind choice to trust him more than you trust yourself. It's about a commitment to submit and surrender your life to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. I'm gonna ask everybody if you would bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if that's you, then I wanna invite you to pray something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Just silently, right where you are, from your heart to his, I need you. And so I confess my sin to you. You who are my judge, you who are my forgiver, I confess that sin so that I can receive your grace and forgiveness. And in exchange for your life, I give you mine, and I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I wanna ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you just prayed that prayer, you're surrounded by people who want to help. People who want to be a family of faith with you, for you. And we would love to help with what's next. When we dismiss in just a moment, if you will, out in the big lobby to your right, we have a gift for you. It's just a, a Bible with a reading plan to help you get started in this relationship with God. You can go there. There's an area in the lobby called the hub. And if you'll go there, somebody would love to just give that to you. If you just tell them. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for a moment more, I want to just ask you, if you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head. Hold your hand up high for just a second, and I want you to know that your hand in the air is just a symbol, physically, of the commitment spiritually that you just made, and know that we celebrate that. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.